Today we come to another relationship, a little bit different than last week and last couple weeks, but we're not talking about a relationship with people, we're talking about a relationship with this book called the Bible. Now, when you ask the question, why do I need a relationship? I actually Googled that just to see what would show up. And here was on the first page that Google pulled up, 20 plus best Bible verses about life, five Bible verses that will change your life if you believe them, six encouraging Bible verses about help, life, hope, and truth, eight Bible verses that remind us God is in control, 21 Bible verses about guidance, finding God's will for your life, Ten good Bible verses every business needs for 2016. They're a little bit behind there. But what does the Bible say about how we should live our lives in 105 verses about life? See, the question before us today, what is our relationship with this book? How important is it to our lives? How important is it it to even the foundation for us as a church? And if you're a parent... How important is it for your kids? What do you want them to believe about this book called the Bible? Now, in asking that question, realize something that the way we approach it, how, even sometimes how important it is, has to do with a number of factors. One might be even our family of origin. Did, how important was it for mom and dad? Or maybe even was in terms of some of the different kinds of churches we attended, how important was it for them as, as you were raised in a church, if you were raised in a church? See, we were influenced in some way of understanding how the Bible and why it's important. A, a number of years ago when I was at the church down in Baxter, I met with a couple that were starting to come to the church and, and I sat down with them and I asked the question, you know, why, why were you starting to attend? They had actually moved from another church that was really pretty close to ours and what came out of their mouths was a bit different than the normal responses. But what came out was basically this. They were having a discussion with the pastor at their church and the Bible they got under the topic of, of the Bible and how important it was. And the pastor made a statement, something like this. Well, you know, the Bible really has a lot of errors and it, you know, it, it just, there's a lot of myths and stuff in it, but it still teaches us really good things. And you go, okay, for them, you understand, they believe that this really was the word of God and it set things in motion for them. But for that pastor, understand this, that this book didn't have that much to do with faith, with moving toward Christ. It just wasn't that reliable, nor was it that important. See, there's really a a critical question in your outline. I I said it this way, this key question. Why is this book important to the one who claims to follow Christ, claims to follow Jesus? Why must this book be important? Now, we need to realize again, different backgrounds, different families, different churches. Not all of us put on the same lens when it comes to even why we read the scriptures and what are we looking to get out of it. So that question, that's where I want to dig in. But here, understand, I I could give you the Sunday school answer, and that's this. You know, the the Bible is important because it is the word of God. And that is true. And it is important for many people. 
but people still struggle to engage with it if it, we indeed believe it's from God. Matter of fact, some of the latest stats, look at this one. Almost 9 out of 10 households, 87% own a Bible, according to the American Bible Society. And the average household has three. How many of you have more than three? Look at that. Yeah, lots of us do. Look at the next one there. 11% who read the entire Bible once and 9% who've read it through multiple times. A few people really are digging into the Bible. Here's another one. The more often Americans attend church, the more likely they are to read the Bible daily. 39% of those who attend worship services at least once a month read a bit every day, while only 13% of those who attend services less than once a month pick up a Bible uh, daily. It matters even connecting it to the body of Christ. But here's one I discovered in terms of young people. How do they view the Bible? In 40 years, the number of young people who believe the Bible has written, that has, it's really written from God, has fallen from 32% to 12%. See, young people have begun to reject this as God's word. Now, there's a book that, the elders are reading, we're reading together. And it's speaking about a, a churches and what is the environment that we have within a churches in terms of discipleship. And in that book, there's an interesting um, chapter on, it, it gives a connection of a whole bunch of stats that have to do with why people's lives change. And this survey the Southern Baptist Group did a large survey, thousands of people where they tracked them over a long period of time. And, and they were asking, what is it that we put into our lives that really makes a difference in the spiritual world for us? And that study was interesting because it really brought out three critical inputs that have an outcome in terms of a very positive way. I'll put them on the screen for you. I think I've mentioned this verbally. Number three, the third most important, attending a class or small group within a church. Vital for, in terms of faith. Number two, attend a worship service. They're assuming that'd be a regular process, but it's important to a changed life. But the number one you notice there is to read the Bible. And this is by far and away. It had the greatest correlation if a person sat and read the Bible, it made a difference on the outcomes of their life. Now, even it went farther, and it's interesting because just reading it, it it didn't assume that you were studying it. We tend to think, well, studying the Bible is more important, but that's actually not the case. So where I want to begin here is really understanding the way that we approach scriptures and again, we've been taught and told certain things, and, and, but this is where I want to head. The ways and the whys that we look at the scriptures and why we read them. So if you're following along in the outline here, I, I said number one this. We read the Bible for information and for the intellectual understanding of God. Now, in any given audience, recognize that there are people who are just natural learners, who, for example, like to read, who like information, love the facts. 
And this might be you. This is where I, I honestly, I, I lead, um, lead, lean toward this direction. You know, I, I love facts and issues and details and, and to use them in conversations, but to push it farther for some people in this category, they view learning the doctrine, the facts, that equals growing in your faith. So you read the Bible to learn the Bible so that growth is going by the knowledge of it. And even another kind of sub piece in here is that there's those people that are going, I got to figure out the right doctrine. What are the right truths that I need to embrace? And so the study of that is, is really that, that aimed at our understanding. And matter of fact, the scriptures do speak to this. Uh, there's a verse that I learned growing up, memorized it when I was young, 2 Timothy 2.15. Here's the King James, what I memorized. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So is it important? And I go, yes, it really is. But the challenge, when you start doctrine and the, and the truths of the scripture You understand, a lot of people, that's not them. It doesn't appeal to them. And I think in any given audience, I don't think, number one, the percentage is actually all that high. See, there's another lens, the way that people look at the scriptures. Number two, I said it this way. We read the Bible to become equipped to apply biblical wisdom and realize that this has merit. Matter of fact, let me throw you a scripture. Put up 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Look at this. For teaching, for reproof, for using for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. See, if we want to help somebody in life, Someone comes along that has an issue. The the scriptures are there to be able to teach and apply the wisdom and help another person. So someone comes up to us and says, you know what, I'm struggling with doubt. How do you encourage them? What scriptures would you take them to that might encourage them? If someone is consumed with fear, what scriptures would you turn to that would really push back at their issue of fear in their lives. So it is very useful to being able to even encourage each other. And that's one way that some people look at the scriptures. By the way, you can have multiple lenses as well here. Just a reminder of that. Let me give you a third way. We read the Bible to learn the principles that life would work better for me. We dig into the scriptures and you know what? Life's not working. I'm going to turn to the scriptures and I'm going to figure out life. You know, what's God's will for my life? I've known people who, you know, I wonder what God wants for me today. So they open up and on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters. Okay, I'm not sure. Let's try it, you know. You want to try another verse? 
See, is that one way, in one sense, to discern God's will for us? We think of it individually. And are there principles in the scriptures that make our life work better? I go, absolutely. Next week, we're going to speak on horizontal relationships, friendships. Look at Proverbs 13, 20, a verse that would apply next week. Walk with the wise... And become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. There's a principle that you put into practice that will make life better. Frankly, stay away from fools. And it's going to make your life work better. And and see, there's scriptures that are filled with an understanding that makes our life better. Perfect? No. Now, there's a downside of this in that at times what people will tend, can tend to or go, kind of go past uh, over the edge a little bit and they look at this book as almost kind of a magic genie. And, and, and it's going to make me happy and wealthy and it's going to make my life go really smooth. Matter of fact, there's a, a movement called the Word of Faith movement. I, I think it really kind of butchers scripture. But it, it tells you that if you just do these things God's going to make you successful and claim it. And, and, and my pushback at times for people is, does God ever invite us to suffering? Does he ever want to use suffering in our lives? And I go, boy, the scriptures is filled with it. But there's another way that we approach it as well. Number four, we read the Bible to live a moral life and to keep from sinning. So we discover God's moral will, the rights and the wrongs of how we are supposed to live in this world. And we discover the wrong ones so we can push away from them and and walk toward that which is good. Now, does the Bible have a correlation between the scriptures and sin? And I go, yes, it does. Matter of fact, look at Psalm 119, verse 11. It says this, David's writing, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So there is a connection between the scriptures and sinfulness and using it even in the spiritual battle, pushing back against sin. It's a legitimate understanding of that. Matter of fact, Jesus, when he was tempted... He quoted scripture to push back on Satan. But this is where, at times on this issue, we tend to oversimplify it. And what we do is we create a formula. Matter of fact, I I, I look back at some of the verses. I actually memorized this verse when I was younger. And one of the dangers in that is if we create a formula, we begin to live our lives centered around cliches. And we use some of the verses, actually, as almost a cliche-type discipleship, and we can actually do it in parenting. So we, we teach our kids this. I remember in Sunday school, the teacher would tell us, you know, if you hide God's word in your heart, you're not going to sin against God. Like there was a formula. And I go, they did it kind of in a cliche way. Because here's the reality. In terms of theology and good doctrine, there are some problems with assuming that that's automatic. And one of them would be this. The Pharisees themselves. Folks, 
don't know if you realize that the Pharisees, many of them, many of them could almost quote the whole Old Testament. And yet these men crucified Christ. Scripture never changed their hearts. You know, I have a relative, I won't say which one, but um, older gentleman, doesn't live in the state. Um, he knows scripture probably better than anyone that I've ever known. Whenever I meet him and spend some time with him, and he knows the Bible, he's much of it memorized, and yet at the core, he is steeped in legalism. Now, he doesn't do the outside sins, lying, cheating, stealing, but frankly, he can't love. And even his own kids that are even older have a hard time loving him because of it. He just isn't lovable, and he doesn't have much love to actually hand out. Now, I was going down this path with our Wednesday night class. We kind of finished up on understanding the Bible here on Wednesday nights. And I I used the Psalm 119 one to really drive home a point. And I want to put a statement up on the screen, which maybe clarifies that Psalm 119 as well. And here's what I said. Having scripture internalized is far more important than having scripture memorized. See, we can... Quote the words, but if the scripture never penetrates our heart, something will be lost and something will be missing. And understand this, internalized is allowing the Holy Spirit to apply it to our heart, our mind, our soul, our actions. And the result is there's new desires. There's different motives. Consistent behavior on the outside? The answer is yes. See, one of the things in in understanding the word is we must not dismiss that the Holy Spirit is working with the word to actually cause the fruit and the changes in our lives. See, people want to view this as a magic book. But listen, the Holy Spirit must be active And it's about internalizing and opening our lives to the Holy Spirit. See, it's easy to take in Scripture and just turn it into a promise and a formula and assume that it's going to work. But here's where I got to go down another alley here today and tell you it's a bit of a challenge to even speak on some of these relationships because one of the things that... I, I try to do here is, is I, I want to give us a picture of what to aim for. Last week with marriages, what are you aiming for? With parentings, what are you aiming for? That, that's part of my goal in terms of this series here. But when you stand up here and, and you look at that goal, one of the things that people hear and maybe even are discouraged with is there's, there's this type of, I'm not measuring up it's not working for me. Even last week with marriage. I know for some of you, there was a weight put on you where your marriage isn't working and you kind of hold up that mirror and you kind of slink down and you go, oh, I should have 
done something different in my marriage. Or you could do it parenting. But even here today, you hold up the importance of the Bible. And all of a sudden, the soul kind of slinks and the guilt comes in. I haven't been taking the word of God seriously. How do we interpret when something is missing in these relationships, including the word? This is what we think. Just another thing that I should do and I'm not doing. I should be doing this. I know I should be reading my Bible. And maybe you feel like, in one sense, I'm screaming at you, I should be reading my Bible. Now, to some degree, we never can get away from that issue as we hold up a mirror to our lives. Because deep down, you know what? We figure out where we're coming up short. You know, but here's the deal. Have you ever driven somewhere, maybe in the last week, and you missed the turn? And what do we say? Oh, I should have turned there. Have you done that recently? I, I have. But see, you can take any topic, and it feels like we should be doing something different. We should be doing something better. A number of years ago, I remember taking Deanna out for a Valentine's date. By the way, guys, it's coming up here in a little while. Um, but it, and it was, the Valentine's landed on a Friday, okay? Prime night, okay? When it's a Friday or Saturday night, uh, restaurants are really, really busy. And, and we planned on driving from Brainerd, where we were living at the time, down to St. Cloud. And do you know what? I should have made a reservation, See, I I wouldn't call eating at Space Aliens Restaurant a very romantic dinner, if anybody know that restaurant. The video games after were wonderful, okay? I I think the only thing worse would have been taking her to Chuck E. Cheese's for for Valentine's Day. Scott heard this in the first service. What's wrong with that, you know? So, see, we should be reading our Bible, We hear that. Here's where I need to focus for a few minutes. I think there's another way that we can approach it where we can move down a different path that makes a profound difference in our lives. And it has the opportunity for change within us. Let me give you the application question in your notes. And I put it in the form of the question, what would happen in our lives if we move from we should be reading our Bible to we want to read our Bible? See, how many people start reading the Bible and you've been told over and over again, we should be reading the Bible. I remember that in first grade. As soon as you start reading Sunday school is drilling. We should be reading our Bibles. And then we get a little bit older and we finally get up enough courage to start reading it. We get into it a little bit and this thought hits us that, you know what, Sunday school, they've just gone over the good stories, the easy ones. And you get into the other stuff. And then we get to Leviticus and Numbers. And and we look at this and go, are they relevant for me? We get bored. 
but we've been, you know, a chapter a day keeps the devil away. Do you know how many days it takes to read Numbers and Leviticus if you read one chapter a day? There's 27 chapters in Leviticus, 36 chapters in Numbers, and that would be over two months. And people go, they give up. Do you see the challenge for us? And there's another challenge as well. Uh, When you think of movies, video, the whole entertainment, our, our attention spans are shorter. Matter of fact, I heard something, somebody say something, and I had to go look it up and go on the internet and look it up. And here's the headline from the article I had found. Humans have shorter attention span than goldfish, thanks to smartphones. A Canadian study showed that the human attention span has fallen from 12 seconds in about the year 2000, okay? And that's when the cell phone revolution really took, took off to currently eight seconds. So we've lost four seconds in an attention span. And even they were saying that the movies that, and how often the scenes um, change, you can just, if you look at old versus new, you'll see that. Do you realize that goldfish have believed to have an attention span of nine seconds? And we have eight. Leviticus, can we get through a chapter in eight seconds? And you go, no. So is it hopeless? Well, let me talk about a different approach and and to make a switch. And it's functionally about putting a different lens on to read the Bible with. Yes, it means that we do some work, but I believe this, if we can do it, that the Bible can become more than a conduit of information for us about God. Here's the fifth way, reading the Bible. Number five, reading not just for cognitive content, but communion and the richness of a personal relationship with Jesus. See, I I was never taught this growing up. I should be reading the Bible. See, rather than reading for just information and inspiration, what if we actually read for fellowship? That our Bible reading is a relational date with, with Jesus that he is actually inviting us on to get to know him better through the word by the Holy Spirit. Let me me show you a quote came across this week. We can find interaction with the scripture, a reward beyond what has previously been available, a fellowship with God so deep that no eye, heart, and the mind has yet grasped its fullness. It was an author writing about the idea of putting a relational lens on and everything beginning to change as we read the Bible. See, the opportunity to read the Bible is we get to know and love the Son who loves us so much more than we love Him. We get to know His Father whom the Son loves profoundly and He wants us to meet His Father. And we do that through the word 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, I believe this. If we can change the posture in our reading, it can move us where rather than we should to we get to. And we're delighted in spending time in the word. And more and more, if we can put that set of lenses on, I believe it's going to grow deeper and deeper and deeper as we look into the scriptures. And I believe with all my heart that if we can do it, that even our faith will change in a unique way as we see him and see the scriptures as profoundly relational. I'm going to put up an advertisement of a movie on the screen. Anybody, have anybody seen that movie? 50 First Dates. Now, if you know the movie, Drew Barrymore is an amnesiac. She starts each day with a new day. She doesn't remember the day before. And Adam Sandler comes every day and starts a new date. Cute, cute movie. But isn't that a little bit like us in Christ? We get amnesia and we forget the dates. And then we forget it. And yet, Jesus is over there coming to him and saying, Ken, let's have another first date. Let's jump into the Bible. See, I think he's inviting us into the Bible with these first dates over and over and over again. So here's, what, here's the goal of today. I want to throw the whole church a challenge to put on this lens number five and begin to read the Bible with a relational set of glasses on. So here's the challenge. Maybe you read the newsletter. It was already in there. I would invite you to read the New Testament beginning today and finish it in 56 days from now, which would be Easter Sunday is to take two months and read through the whole Old Test, New Testament. Now, you, maybe you read it faster. That would be wonderful. Start it again. Understand it's somewhere between three and five chapters a day. It, there's a sheet out actually at the Welcome Center, a yellow sheet there you can grab. It'll give you a, a plan if you want. You can go online. You can do it that way. There's lots of plans you can do. And one of the things that I would invite you to do as you read that, put that lens on, and every time the Holy Spirit just prompts you in a verse, just underline it. If you're using electronic, highlight it. You know, on the phone, just highlight that. And matter of fact, maybe even another step to do it would be to put it on, post that verse on our Facebook page, the church Facebook page. And share with other people and just encourage other people to keep, you know, keep having those dates with Jesus. You know, I, I really think that if we did this and we began with that relational lens, it would make a difference in our lives. We taste and see. Three to four chapters a day. Let me show you a prayer, though, maybe to begin with, to put that 
set of glasses on. What if you prayed this before you even read the Bible? God, would you reveal Jesus through the words I read today? Father, would you stir my affections for your son through this reading? Help my love for you to grow, to help my desire to know your son where those affections grow. God, would, you, would my delight and worship of you grow deep within my soul? Give me focus and help me taste to see that you are indeed good through this date. See, see what you can personalize that. But what if we stopped and said, okay, let's just jump in. See, there's one other verse. Let me put it on the screen. This is from Eugene Peterson, the message, Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. But he writes this way, open your mouth and taste. Open your eyes and see how good God is. And I believe this, as you run to him in the word, he becomes good. And desire grows to be what want, you want to be with him rather than I should be. You know, when relationships, when friendships grow, when marriages grow, and even kids and their parents' relationship grow, you want to spend time. And it's not a duty. It moves to become a delight. And that's what we're looking for. That's what we want. We want God to, to work in us where he becomes a delight for us. Now, a couple other things. If you're a slow reader, you might, might want to just download, and it's online. You download and, and just read, have somebody read it with you as you're reading it. It'll pick up your pace a little bit. If you can't read, you know what? Download it, play it in your truck, play it in your car. When you're, you know, this is only about 15 to 20 minutes a day at the very most. But listen to the word. If, if you can't read it, listen to it. And just allow it to soak it in and to change your life. And I believe, I'm convinced of it, that it can change our love for Jesus. Holy Spirit uses it and it reveals the love of God to us in a way that is profound. That's the challenge. Pick up a yellow sheet after I pray. Start something. Talk about it with your friends. Hold each other a bit of accountability with, with others. Post it online, Instagram, Twitter it. Tell your friends about it. Jump in. Help somebody else put on a new lens. Let's stand and pray.